This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Lookout Landing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is John Troopin. I am thrilled to be broadcasting live from somewhere on the same coast as the GM meetings. We are not present in whatever large, beautiful hotel in California that they were at, but we are here in rainy, thunderstorming Pacific Northwest. I was going to say Seattle, but two of my co-hosts today are technically, I believe, joining us from the east side. Perhaps the greater Seattle area, but their own uh, specific locales in uh, their own right. We have Evan James, uh, podcast co-host, editor, and extraordinaire. Uh, Evan, how are you on this rainy uh, Friday morning? I'm doing good. I'm a little stiff because I haven't been able to get in my usual uh, outdoor exercise because it's been torrential downpour for 48 hours and continuing. Uh, so that's not great. But I'm, I'm feeling good, uh, ready to talk some Mariners. Absolutely. Well, Kate Prusser is uh, down in Arizona. She is getting in her annual trip to the Arizona Fall League, uh, doing some scouting, uh, getting some interviews in with Mariners prospects and folks in the organization. Uh, scuttling up some butt, uh, as it were, and uh, typical we butt scuttling. Typical butt scuttling. We're very excited to hear from her uh, upon her return. But while she's down there, we're letting her focus, which means we are graced with Joe Doyle. Joe, of course, uh, major prospects uh, writer for us here at Lookout Landing. Uh, he also does a multitude of other prospect-focused work at Prospects Live. Uh, and you, if you are the rare but discerning uh, character that listens to our minor league podcast, They Might Be Mariners, on this same feed, you will be very familiar with Joe. Joe. That's me. How do you go? It's, I, hey, man, no complaints. Trying to stay dry. Trying to make Kate proud. Trying to <laughs> live up to the producer <clears throat> name here. We'll see mm-hmm. what we can do. Uh, yeah, you'll have to really embody some Prussian. I know you've been studying Prussia's great history. Uh, no, no major flaws in Prussia's history, if I recall correctly. So, uh, should be, should be a high bar to reach. Um, we are fully in the off season. We are seven days, I guess pretty much exactly, uh, a week, uh, in, or maybe a little more. Uh, and unfortunately, there has not really been a lot of activity. There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes activity by by uh, any any stretch, obviously, at the GM meetings. But were either of you expecting the Mariners to have made a move? Really expecting anyone to have made a move larger than the Dodgers signing Andrew Heaney by now? I figured the Mariners would have signed Tyler Anderson by now. <laughs> That's really it. Yeah, I, I figured there was going to be more traffic with the entire league with the, the December first deadline coming up. But I mean, I guess, I guess teams are teams and players and agents are just waiting this thing out. I kind of thought there was going to be a flurry of moves this first week, but that doesn't appear to be the case. Do you think 
we should take the fact that stuff hasn't happened as a sign that maybe everyone is kind of waiting to see how the CBA plays out? I think so. I don't know, man. It's it's kind of tough because a lot of the free agents don't have a lot of skin in that game. They're not, you know, they're not waiting to see how the arbitration process changes and things like that. I mean, dollars are going to be dollars. I guess agents could be waiting and teams could be waiting to see if a salary uh, payroll floor takes effect. I don't I don't think a, a payroll floor is going to take effect. Like that's a that's a monumental move in the sport, and I just don't see us going that direction right now. So it's a good question. I'm not sure. It's tough to it's it's tough to know because the 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 public info that we're getting is so. It, I've, just in in thinking, even the last year when they were negotiating out, like, or I guess 2020 when they were negotiating out, like how are we going to operate the health and safety protocols? Like that was obviously a big challenge. And even back in 2016, there were tons of issues, but like every proposal that we're seeing is like nothing to do with one another, everything that is public. And that doesn't mean anything necessarily. There could be more going on, but it seems like they are so far apart that, yeah, I think a lot of this just unfortunately has to be operated on, well, we can't worry about that because who the hell knows? Um, but it does seem like it's going to slow. It's slowing things down, which is unsurprising, but it is too bad. Um, Joe, you you actually tweeted something about this that I wanted to perhaps dive a little more on. Do you think that it matters when the Mariners make moves this winter? Like, do you think if they are going into December and things haven't really happened around the league or maybe one or two big moves have happened, but the Mariners haven't really done anything yet. Do you think that that lastingly is a problem or do you think that that's something that, uh, you know, in the moment will feel big or, or do you, you know, does that, does that have an impact going forward? I don't, I don't, I don't think it has a negative impact if they don't get anybody, but I think when you're talking about, a team like the Mariners that can be difficult to get, you know, a large swaths of players up into the Pacific Northwest at the same time. If if you can get ahead of the 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 shutdown that could be coming on December first with a big signing like a Marcus Semyon or or I'm not even gonna name trades, but if um if you can get a, a big player and show your commitment to winning immediately in 2022, I think what you do is when hot stove is on every morning from December 1st until January 31st or whenever this lockout is going to end, the Mariners are going to be a talking point every other day if they go out and they make a splash. And, you know, if there's if there's nothing being talked about on hot stove every morning and, you know, players watch that show, you know, agents watch that show, you know, teams watch that show. If the Mariners are a talking point over and over and over within the industry when there's nothing going on, I think when things start to ramp back up and things open back up, some of those, um, you know, those Eduardo Escobars and Alex Woods and the guys that are still available might look at Seattle over that over that time period and go, this is a pretty appealing destination. They're the talk of baseball. It's kind of what happened with the Mets. You know, the Mets went out, made their splash last year, and all of a sudden, you know, Trevor May wanted to go out there and a host of other guys wanted to go out there because they had money. Um, even though the Mets wasn't the best baseball situation, 
from a marketing and a PR and a, and a and quote unquote fun standpoint, it, it becomes an appealing destination. I think that is actually a, a very good point on it. Cause I was thinking about it in large part from a sort of fan perspective of enthusiasm building, right? You know, the Mariners are trying to, <clears throat> they've got this sort of ember that they are holding or, or this sprout that they are holding and trying to repot into, you know, a much larger uh, space and, and build into a lasting growing sort of garden to, to go on my Scott Boris uh, metaphorical journey. Um, but you know, the Mariners have so much that they have built against them in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of will people buy season tickets in terms of, will people be enthusiastic about them? Right. They have this opportunity, right? They're a 91 team that has this huge young roster and, and young organizational talent core and a lot of the rest of the teams in this city or in the region are not exactly playing particularly well. So if people are interested in sports, the Mariners have a really good opportunity to sort of take some of that uh, focus. Uh, but I think the point of transforming them for however long the layoff might be into a notable team to discuss for a recruiting standpoint for a, for a, you know, people thinking about the Mariners as a contender for three months, as opposed to two days before the season, suddenly, you know, Oh, okay. Well, they got this guy, they got this guy, this guy, this guy. And then, you know, who knows? Uh, that is a good point. That's a, that's a good angle. I, I did not consider that. One more quick thing on, on the, on the fan front, I think it, it, there's an interesting um, double-edged sword going on right now for Jerry Depoto because Depoto has created such a perfect situation for himself. A perfect, you know, he's he's got the farm system. He's got the superstar at the top of the farm system. He's got the young team. He's got the payroll flexibility. He's got the free agent class that's bursting at the seams with talent that is just kind of lined up with their window. I think what people aren't talking about is the fact that he's made this offseason, at least from a fan standpoint, extremely difficult for him because, you know, three years ago, four years ago, the Mariners payroll was $155 million. Right now it's projected to be at $45 million. And I think there's a, a large swath of the general fan base that expects this team to be at 130 140 150 million dollars in payroll next year because it's go time but i think like realistically if seattle's payroll is only at 105 to 115 million going into 2022 i think jerry did a really really good job and spent a ton of money but i think the issue with that is he's in a position where the fan base just just won't be satisfied like there's outside of landing like Simeon, Chris Bryant and a big pitcher. I think fans will genuinely view this offseason as the team left meat on the table, which I, is is a little frustrating to me. And I'm sure it's going to be frustrating to Jerry at the end of the day. But um, I would just tell people to keep an open mind as we work our way through this this offseason. We just they need one splash and they need a bunch of complimentary pieces, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Jerry's definitely promised a lot this offseason. Um, I think part of that is probably 
to put expectations on the organization as a whole, you know, obviously he gets to shelter or I should say shoulder a lot of that, you know, expectation in a public facing sense, but he's not the only person who gets to influence those decisions. And I think, you know, from a, an organizational directive standpoint, he wants to make it clear that they need to be aggressive and he's done that. Now, obviously that comes with the caveat that he has at this point promised a lot and delivered nothing and he does have to deliver and uh it will require some kind of a splash i think we've you know we've been in agreement about this for months now that they do need to sign or you know trade for somebody of real consequence and you know maybe it is just the one player you know maybe it is just marcus Semien and then smaller pieces or maybe it's you know just chris bryant and smaller pieces but they're going to have a really hard time selling anything that's not like a really signature move to the fan base. And that is the corner that they've backed themselves into. And perhaps good because, you know, this team does. They need superstars. They need, you know, and I don't like quoting Russell Wilson on that, but they need, they need ceiling talent that's not currently in the organization. And they're going to have to import that one way or another. Yeah, definitely agree. There is, I will say, the the line of how much to spend is not necessarily like a, you have to spend this much in my mind to to be successful, right? If you if you acquire good players, you know that's that's the important thing, right? Is that you're putting out players who are high quality that you know make this team into a contending one. Um, the specificity on money i think is you know in that 130 to 140 range i do think that's where they can very comfortably get to um without being you know with both significant addition and also without it feeling like <laughs> preposterous i guess like you know the the i think that was roughly where ryan divish projected that they might end up which, you know, not like that's the be-all, end-all, right? But uh, typically, you know, when you're, when you, when I, when I read a payroll projection expectation in the Seattle Times, I, my expectation is that that is a more conservative uh, sort of estimate of where the team would feel comfortable being, right? Uh, you know, you don't see that a ton. Uh, and maybe that's wrong by me, but I, I do think that that's like, that's one big signing. That's one or two sort of more medium signings. You know, something akin to what the White Sox did uh, a few years back. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, maybe it's an extension or maybe it's a trade or maybe it's, you know, things like that. But thing, things that improve the team by utilizing the money that's out there. Um, I think your your point also about putting pressure on themselves is... Uh, and in, an interesting one, especially because Depoto has specifically said names, which I think is is where a, a good number of this uh, or a good amount of this uh, stems from. Right? It's that you know he had this uh, presser, and he's had a few different press sort of appearances uh, already, and he's mentioned Marcus Semyon by name. He's mentioned Chris Bryant by name. Uh, you know, they've talked about. Uh, you know, we've heard that they are interested in Trevor's story, that they're interested in, uh, you know, all these different, any of these shortstops that would be willing to move off of shortstop. 
So I, I think they are putting the pressure on themselves, which I appreciate because I'd rather they say that than say, you know, whatever the the fit, you know, what the Reds are doing of like, well, we we just need to cut costs, or the Phillies where they're like, well, we have Bryson Stott, so we think that we're probably not going to try and go get a good shortstop. Like, I appreciate that they're putting it out there, but I think they are putting it out there. I think Jerry, I hope Jerry learned his lesson at the trade deadline with the way he communicated to the Seattle Times. You know, this piece, this trade might not make sense now, but after a flurry of trades at the deadline, it'll, the, the grand idea will make sense. I hope he has learned from that and doesn't come out this offseason talking big game about how much he likes Marcus Simeon and how much he likes Chris Bryant and these host of other players that are at the top, Michael Conforto, that are at the top of the market. Um, because if he spouts off all these names and then, you know, Leury Garcia is playing second base and, you know, they get a bunch of other fringier guys, I think he's going to have a huge headache on his hands, an enormous, an enormous PR nightmare on his hands. My my whole thing with payroll is I just want them to have flexibility going into 2020, 2023 and July. You know, if they if they go into this year with a payroll of 135, 140 million, we don't know what the ceiling looks like. You know, we don't know what John Stanton and those guys are willing to pay. Um, if they, you know, take another step forward and all of a sudden 2023 looks like they might be an AL pennant contending team. Like, I just don't want them to go into next season with only you know, 15 or $20 million of flexibility on their hands. Because on one hand, it's it's a beautiful issue to have so much payroll flexibility. But on the other hand, Seattle can also look at themselves in the mirror and go, we don't have shit coming off of the books for the next several, for, for the foreseeable future. There's nobody rolling off our books. So every dollar that we add to any sort of multi-year deal we're saddled with. I mean, yeah, you'll you'll see you'll see what nine million come off the books for for Giles and Hanniger after twenty twenty two, but they might get re-signed. So they gotta I do think they have to spend responsibly. Um how they do that, we'll see. I should point out too that we talk a lot about dollars and cents and money and free agent contracts. None of us actually care when Iota how much the Mariners spend. We care how they assemble the team and money is just a part of that. You know what I mean? Like if the Mariners were to go and get Marcus Simeon and Trevor Story and Carlos Correa for $7 and a cheeseburger, um, we'd all be fine with that. Realistically, like we're not, we're not here to spend the Mariners money, but we are, we're conscious of the fact that, like you said, they don't owe any money to anybody in the future after really after last year, but especially going forward. And money is, their only resource that has no strings attached right now because if they want to go and they want to trade for brian reynolds it's going to cost them prospects it's going to cost them guys who are under club control who are you know really high ceiling talents versus if they can just go sign guys they can literally just import talent directly onto the roster so it's not strictly about dollars amounts and and how the money is being spent it's about the way it all comes together and they are in a position, I think, to do two things. One is to sign guys long term to have money on the books for a while. But two is to front load a bunch of contracts for the short term. Um, you know, if the Mariners wanted to go sign a bunch of guys 
a little over market rate to play the next year or two when they have nobody on the books. That's not a bad idea necessarily. Um, and that's kind of, you know, especially if you want to hang on to all your prospects, this is the time to use that sort of fungible asset as it can be used. Because, um, you know, you never know how talent's going to work out, but you can, you can always spend money and they're in a position to spend money. I wonder how ownership feels about Jerry going out and spending one year 25 mil on a Michael Conforto. Because Jerry surely doesn't think, and this might be me being a skeptic or whatever, I don't think Jerry and members of that front office genuinely believe the Mariners will be a World Series contender in 2022. I still think they're at least a year away. They still need J-Rod to come up get his feet wet. I think they need, you know, Jared to get one more year of seasoning before they really know what he's going to be. Logan, Kirby, all these guys need to come up and kind of cement themselves. And I don't think it genuine or generally happens the year they all come up. So I think 2023 is probably the year that they, you know, bust through. So you have to wonder if Jerry is selling a, selling a high AAV one year deal to ownership. I don't know if that, totally flies because that's i don't want to call it wasted money but at the end of the day it's almost more of a like a marketing buy than it is a signal for competition in the future does that make sense to you guys what do you think about that yeah i could see them doing that as kind of a final piece you know if most of the rest of the roster is constructed already and they're looking at the team and thinking this is a competitive roster and then they want to sign conforto just in addition to that for 25 million on a one-year deal, I think that makes sense. But I agree with you. I don't think they're looking at one-year deals kind of as the bread and butter of this offseason and of this roster building. I see them looking at three and four-year deals primarily and maybe something longer for, you know, a, a bigger fish. What do you think, John? I would be pretty surprised if we saw any major position players signed on one-year deals. I would not be surprised if we saw pitchers signed on one-year deals um just because i think they feel one like they have pitching depth two they have present money and that's a you know that's a way right that you can you can get to that if you're if you're looking at 130 140 as like okay we probably aren't going to go higher than that or even 110 right you can get someone like Semyon, and you could get someone in sort of a mid-level, whether that's like Suzuki or Canna or a trade for a you know for someone on contract, and then you can put you know thirty million down on a pitcher for one year, and that doesn't I mean hamstring it it doesn't tie them up with paying someone for several years down the line, but it does give them the option to immediately upgrade themselves significantly in the short term and still work in, you know, their pitching prospects as they come up, right? So that offers them the chance to, I think, see more of what they have while still competing in the short term. Um, and I think pitching is, is it's also a pragmatic way of, of signing, avoiding pitchers. injury. It's, right. it's just... It, it's a it's it's a means to an end, you know. It's how you make sure that George Kirby doesn't pitch 140 innings this year. Right. You sign. It does make sense with Conforto. I mean, it the the pandemic did not 
do anything that should avoid people from getting 550 at bats. Right. And really quick, can I just say, John, because you brought up his name, I this has a pretty good listening base. To all of you guys out there that think I know that the Mariners are signing Mark Tana, can you please? I don't. You guys are giving me way too much credit. I don't know anything about Mark Canna. I posted a funny gif of Mark Canna because he's a strange cat the other day. And he is uh, a strange cat. Apparently that was confirmation that Mark Canna is going to be a Seattle Mariner and it is not on record. Sounds like it is, however, maybe. Joe yeah. knows it everything. Is, Joe has I don't all know. the insider information, and you should definitely pester him for the deep secrets. Joe is like if the you, deep state of Seattle Mariners. The deep state. <laughs> Much like those that believe in the deep state, if you believe in Joe Doyle as a firm reporter, you will be miserable for a long, long time. That's why we call you Scoops. Um, <laughs> we call uh, him Scoops? Uh, I've begun calling him Scoops right now. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> I was gonna say, like, what's the what's the? Do you guys know that guy who always does the like Slater scoop? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, Joe, you you gotta have a, a, a that nice guy's at the bottom of a river now. <laughs> <laughs> from that guy in like two years. I don't want to be ball and chained. That's fair. Uh, if it's we, draft stuff, perk up. If it has anything to do with anything else, just... Joe, you just gotta lean into this whole conspiracy theory angle and like post tweets that have like M's and C's in random spots, and people will be like, "Ooh, Mark Canna," you know, like mm-hmm. go go full Q with it and like have secret messages about Mark Canna. I like signing it. Yeah, I'm just gonna like zoom in and post really granulated pictures of like City Field soil. And just see what people think, like of the infield dirt, and see what people think of <laughs> what that means. Oh man, oh, I like that's that. Funny. Or just a, just a very metaphoric picture of an apple and a beaver, a beaver eating an apple. See what people think of that. Let me ask this question back on track here because we are, we're talking about the rotation and potentially signing a pitcher for you know a single year contract. Um. I think you say has departed the red. What you guys think about Sheffield and Dunn? See them shaking out, particularly what those two guys are going to do next year. Oh, I pray to God that they're not in the rotation in March. <laughs> if we're being totally honest, um, I would, I would be more than happy to give Justin Dunn another shot uh, because I think he's a guy that has two above average pitches, maybe a plus breaking ball. He can spin it, but. Um, yeah, I just have, I have no interest in Sheffield being a part of the rotation and he really needs to, uh, kind of see what he can pump up out of his stuff. If he's going to be a, an effective lefty out of the bullpen, because I mean, we saw a very small sample size of that in September of him coming out and pitching two inning spurts. And unfortunately he was still 91 to 93 mostly. And he lost the feel for his slider because it, it's just not a it's just not a weapon right now, unfortunately. I mean, people guys were spitting on it out of the hand. They weren't even offering at it. So yeah. It's unfortunate that neither one of those guys has really worked out, to be honest with you, but that's kind of the way that prospects work sometimes. So I guess that leaves us with needing to fill that rotation spot because I think we're probably all in agreement that Williamson, Kirby, and Kirby in particular are not 
going to make the rotation out of spring training. Um, I guess Williamson is like an outside possibility, but unlikely because uh, he hasn't pitched at all in AAA. They could start Matt Brash right away. And I guess that's kind of my next question to you is when I'm looking at this rotation and at the, the pitching depth in general, uh, the big wild card is what do they do with Matt Brash? So what do you guys think they do with Matt Brash? John, I'll let you tackle this one out of the out of the gate, my man. I think he's in Tacoma to start. Um, I do think he and Kirby and Williamson, if they're all here, uh, work into the rotation uh, relatively early next year. Um, my hope is that the Mariners sign two starters at least. Ideally, <clears throat> excuse me, ideally three in that one of them is James Paxton, but that that can happen like right before spring training or something similar, or they can sign him to a minor league deal, which was suggested. I don't know if he would do that, but I think you could sign him to a major league deal with, and then just immediately put him on the 60 day IL. Um, but I don't think Seattle wants to carry him all winter. Uh, but that said, you can very much, uh, I think sort of cycle in, Brash and Kirby and Williamson, along with uh, a couple acquisitions. Joe, you mentioned Alex Wood. He's someone who I really wanted the Mariners to sign last year. Still would be very game for them signing him this year. Uh, he's very solid. He also is a little bit of a very good when he's out there, but you have to factor in he's going to miss five to ten starts probably. Uh and so if the Mariners have the opportunity to do a sort of Dodgers-esque, all right, this guy is going on the IL, you know, all right, we're putting Hyunjin Ryu on the IL for a little bit so he can really just get, you know, get some good massage time in. And okay, now he's back and he's good. Okay, well, we need to give Kershaw a little bit of time. Okay, well, let's bring up, you know, Tony Gonsolin or whatever. I know this is mixing years but you know that's a big part of how the Dodgers not only were very successful during the regular season but also very imposing in the playoffs because they had these ace type pitchers that could go in uh you know in playoff scenarios but also they could still keep those guys a little more fresh throughout a full season uh, and I think Seattle has not that you know upside yet but the idea of them having a lot of young pitchers that they can rotate in and try and get everyone to sort of 140, 160 innings, um, not all at the major league level, but I, I think that that's where we see Brash worked in a lot, uh, is still in a rotation capacity. And then maybe if things are solidified later in the year or they trade for a pitcher at the deadline, then maybe you see Brash in the, in the bullpen consistently. I'm with John. I would expect him to be in Tacoma at least to start. Um, I mean, he's probably the first guy up, though, if, if Seattle grabs two starting pitchers. I would expect the team to sign one starting pitcher. I don't think it's going to be anyone, you know, really sexy, if if we're being honest. And I know I'm kind of setting my expectations low, but that's, I guess that's just the way that I operate. Um, Alex Wood is a guy that definitely interests me. Um I think Michael Lorenzen has some qualities that make some sense. I mean, he's the type of guy that you, you throw in the rotation and actually give him the shot that he's wanted forever in Cincinnati. And if it doesn't work out, 
he's a proven commodity out of the bullpen. A Tyler Anderson makes a lot of sense. Um, I, you know, I, I could see Seattle moving like a Zach Deloach for a Joe Ross out of uh, Washington or a Stephen Brault or a Chad Cool, just someone that can come in and grab some innings. I think Nick Martinez coming over from the KBO is an interesting experiment with what happened with uh, with uh, Chris Flexen. Um, so I think there's a number of different ways that the team could go. I just I don't expect them to grab an Eduardo Rodriguez or a Robbie Ray or um, you know any of those types of guys. I I I would expect it to be more fringier guys and um, you know number fours types and have the prospects come up throughout the year and then kind of reevaluate where your rotation is at in July. Reevaluate your, where your rotation is at in next off season and I think you'll get a pretty good feeling for. Uh, what sort of pitching depth you have. I just, I'm not in the camp of moving a Brash or a Kirby or necessarily even really a Williamson this offseason for, uh, for a, you know, a Luis Castillo type. It's just, I, I think, I think they got some special arms and I know that's prospect hugging, but I don't want two years of Luis Castillo for, for, you know, someone like Brandon Williamson personally. You know, it's interesting. Jerry mentioned Kirby. With, you know, next to Julio and Noel V as like guys who are untouchable. And I was really surprised to hear that because we've kind of known for a while that Kirby is a really special arm. Uh, but it it's interesting to hear the organization really acknowledge like, yeah, he's not available under any circumstance, especially after the difficulty that a lot of our pitchers had in him included getting through this past season. I thought that that was pretty notable. It is. Yeah. It is notable. I do think, I mean, obviously, you know, the Mariners aren't necessarily going off of public prospect lists, but if you look at, you know, the the various different uh, ways that t- people are evaluating Kirby, and it is that he is one of the top pitchers in all of minor league baseball and like top three, top five, you know, I think... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, at BA at Baseball America, they had him. I think only behind Shane Baz, who literally was, you know, the Rays' best pitcher, probably best starting pitcher in the playoffs, probably, and uh, Grayson Rodriguez, who is an absolute monster, and then there's George Kirby, who sits 95 to 98 with you know great control and a good slider. Uh, you know, it, there just aren't very many pitchers like that. So I do think it makes sense that you you keep those sort of core people close, and I think they can still make trades. I would still definitely trade for a Luis Castillo, or literally Luis Castillo, in large part just because the upside of the rotation right now for 2022 specifically, I think is uh, dicey, I would say. Um, and that's that's somewhere that they kind of got hurt last year, right? Unless you think Logan Gilbert is going to leap into acehood immediately. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's he's got a lot of good traits, but like we saw last year, he had a really hard time with corralling his off-speed stuff, um, consistency, and that takes time. So, you know, I would rather see them go for guys with a little bit of a dicier injury history, but more upside and hope that you can sort of manage their health as opposed to going for 
you know, Joe Ross types or even Tyler Anderson types, you know, I wouldn't be upset if they re-signed Tyler Anderson, but like they have people, they have a decent number of people to take up innings at a, at a passable rate. I think they don't have very many people who they could see becoming a top level starter. And that's something I think they could fix, especially with one year deals. I guess my thing would be if you're going to go out and get a guy like that, I expect fully that Jerry is on the phone with that player's representation, talking about that player's interest in an extension immediately thereafter leaving the team. Because, like I said, I don't want two years of Luis Castillo for some of our pitching prospects. But if you tell me you're getting, you know, seven years of Luis Castillo and Jerry and that you know, players representation are on board with a five-year $125 million extension for Castillo. I mean, sign me up. I'll give up more prospect capital if you can get someone that can commit to the Pacific Northwest. But that's always my hesitation is um, realistically 2023 through 2026 is this team's golden window. And I want guys that'll be here in that window, which is extremely hard to acquire <laughs> like that's why brian reynolds has a, a lotto ticket over his head those guys just don't they're not on the market i i hear what you're saying right but also right like this year was a great example of why you know passing up opportunities to improve can really bite you right they they didn't do much of anything this winter and yes obviously a lot went really well for them uh this year but and 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 many of the things were uh not necessarily repeatable but i think it's reasonable to think yeah paul seawald's probably at least an above average reliever going forward yeah probably casey sadler's an above average reliever yeah probably jp crawford's just a consistent 3-1 player yeah probably chris flexen's a solid you know, mid-rotation starting pitcher. So I think you can you can have good seasons and have things go <laughs> things well out of your control, like the Angels continuing to underperform, like the Athletics saying, "Well, we're throwing it in the tank." You know, those are those are wins that the Mariners have on the table for them, and even just adding another extra good player, I, I think helps change the dynamic. And to your point on Castillo, the way you get people to stay in the Pacific Northwest is that you have a good team, right? And that they, and that they are going to, and on true. a good team and that you develop yeah. a good relationship there. Because people will sign extensions either if you're offering them the most money or if they have good reason to want to be there. And right now, Money, I think, is the best thing that the Mariners have because they don't have a winning, a legacy of winning, or they don't have, you know, proven winners or, or proven trajectory. But they, this is the year, I think this is a prove it year for them to acquire people for that 2023 20, to 2026 stretch. I can't I wanted I mean, to yeah, ask, I can't argue with that. I wanted to ask about Brian Reynolds because. Divish wrote that he was a major target of Jerry's in uh, during the season at mm -hmm. uh, the trade deadline. Um, They're looking at moving for him. And 
I had this same conversation yesterday with Mike Ian Anders, but um, the Mariners obviously don't have an outfield log jam, but they do have a lot of their organizational talent in the outfield. And I was wondering if you guys think that Reynolds still makes sense as a trade target, because my kind of initial read was that he made a lot of sense if we were bringing him into the organization during last season for a playoff push, because he would have been displacing you know, Kyle Lewis, who wasn't playing anymore, he would have been displacing Jake Fraley. He would have been displacing Jared, who was in the throes of being the worst player in the sport. Um, and that would, you know, there, there was a clear He's like Kevin the Savage. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. He like for 200 just injecting a narrative that wasn't necessary on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, was, who was struggling, uh, but also in the throes of uh, really embarrassing himself out of the sport. <laughs> <laughs> Jared will forgive me. He's a good guy. But um, yeah, does it does Brad Reynolds still make sense? Because I viewed him in that context as a midseason acquisition for last year. If we're not talking about last year anymore, if we're acquiring him strictly for the future, is his price lower for the Mariners? And does he actually make sense as a trade target? I think there are 29 teams that think Brian Reynolds is a fantastic trade target. I mean... He's one of the very few players that you can get for an extremely controllable amount of years. And he's a supreme performer. I mean, he had a bad 2020, but the kid has been. Yeah, so did a lot of people. I mean, he's been really good since he got to the big leagues. He's an above average center fielder. He's a switch hitter. He's good from both sides of the plate. I mean, um, he'd be an immediate upgrade for anyone. And my take on the thing is. Like, unless you're someone that is hell-bent on the Mariners uh, re-signing Mitch Hanniger, which I think is a an attractive idea, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a, an idea that has to happen. Uh, you look at 2023 without Mitch Hanniger, and you've got Jared Kelnick, you've got Julio Rodriguez, and then you really don't know what you have. I mean, Kyle Lewis might, uh, you know, we'll talk about Kyle Lewis here in a little bit, but we don't know where Kyle Lewis's career is going. Um, it doesn't seem to be as simple as a bone bruise, you know, or, or three bone bruises in one season, for that matter. Uh, Jake Fraley is going to be twenty-eight. You know, he's 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 old. He's twenty-seven or something like that. He's he's no longer you know a primo prospect. And then everyone else. I mean, you got Zach Deloach. You got Taylor Trammell. I mean, none of these guys have shown that they're going to be big league regulars. So yeah, I think this team absolutely needs an outfielder and Brian Reynolds would be an excellent acquisition. But uh, if the pirates are going to ask for Julio or, uh, you know, Kirby or, you know, a heavy, heavy prospect package, I'm not doing it. And, you know, let's say Seattle goes up against the Yankees and the Yankees throw Jason Dominguez into the deal. I'm out. You know, I just, I, I don't know if I would give up Noel V. Marte for Brian Reynolds right now, but I think that's kind of, if we're looking for fair trade value, I think you kind of have to start the conversation with Noel V. Marte, but I'm out if it's Julio or Kirby. Yeah, that's that's sort of where it becomes a challenging fit. Uh, Reynolds is... Very impressive. Um, but the Pirates have literally no guaranteed contracts on their roster. The, yeah. They are, 
which which has multiple sort of facets, right? It means they are not good, and also it's hard to gauge when they think they're going to be good again. So, you know, Reynolds, yes, I think improves them dramatically. I also think that the Pirates are right to try and ask for Julio Rodriguez for for Brian Reynolds, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. he's he's probably a four to five win player for the next four years, maybe even better. And Julio is incredible. And also, hopefully, Julio is a four to five win player for the next six or seven years, right? Like, I mean, more than that, ultimately. But like, it is a tough fit for this moment. I think Evan, you're you're correct uh, on on that appraisal of like mid season. Not even mid season, but just at this particular time. I think there are other moves that the Mariners could make that uh, they can use their money for at least a little bit better. Uh, that may may help them um, long term as well, you know. And that that's you know. I mean, Jose Ramirez is obviously the beloved target. We haven't heard much about that in a while, um, but I know they're they're looking at all sorts of different players, right? Um, so I, I, I would rather see them focus somewhere on a player that they could either get for a little less or a player that they could use their money to help the team sort of offload some money uh, as well. And uh, one other thing on Brian Reynolds, like the Pirates don't have a reason to move him with with the amount of control they have ahead. They could they could get the exact same package a year from now. I mean, there's so much control. And at some point, you kind of just you reach the ceiling for what a team is willing to give up for any one given player at any time. And I think, you know, three years of control ahead of you is kind of that ceiling. And he's got even more than that. So. I would just wait unless you're absolutely blown out of the water, which could happen in July. You know, center field is not an easy position to fill right now. There'll always be demand. I agree with you too, Joe, that I think the Mariners would be outbid for his services if they're not willing to part with Julio or Noel V and especially Julio. Uh, You know, apparently that's the rumor is that they asked for Julio and the Mariners rightfully said no, but realistically, like Brian Reynolds is a trade for Julio caliber of player. Um, you know, we as the Mariners faithful may not like that because we're very attached to Julio. We're probably disproportionately attached to Julio, given his age and all things considered, because we just, you know, we love his story and we've seen him grow up in this organization. But that's not actually an unfair ask for Brian Reynolds. Like, the dude was a six-win player. Uh, you can ask for a top prospect, a top overall prospect in the game for that type of talent. So... If the Mariners are unwilling to meet that price, I don't think that there's a deal to be had. And, you know, we could speculate, you know, what about Noelvi and Deloach? And, you know, they can probably get a single prospect who is better than any of those guys from a different organization and then additional stuff. So um, I just I don't view him as that plausible. I think that the moment the Mariners could have and should have done that is past. And we are looking lower, frankly on the totem pole than Brian Reynolds probably at this point. But Jerry did say some interesting stuff. I, I really want to know what you guys think about his center field comments, because even with Kyle Lewis sounding like he's not going to be ready for a long time, if at all. Um, and without being specific, Jerry kind of mentioned that Kyle Lewis may or may not be ready for spring training and just sussing out the timeline. Uh, that injury was a long time ago. And if he's not ready for spring training, like, basically a year later 
something something's up and i love kyle lewis and he's probably my favorite player on the team and it absolutely devastates me to hear that but he i i don't know if if i expect to see kyle lewis play baseball again kind of and that's really really rough but um jerry said that you know Jared is kind of not a center fielder, but he also said they're not looking for a center fielder. So I was kind of confused as to how he sees this all shaping up. Um, I guess I'll throw it to you first, John. How do you see the Rainer center field situation and what would you do uh, in terms of arranging who they have and maybe adding somebody? Keep coming back to the quote that Jerry had about, say, uh, Suzuki who is not necessarily a center field solution, although it could be, but I, I think it would be a stretch, especially because in Seattle's park, center field is very, very big, relatively, and left and right field are, are rather small. So center field is, I would say, particularly important, and you can kind of get away, you can get away with a little bit less uh, defense in the corners there. Uh, but what DePoto said was about Seiya Suzuki was, I think Seiya is a wonderful player. We've had a great opportunity to scout him. We've seen him both far and wide in video, and we've seen him live. I will say we're not going to choose to start the season without a Japanese player. There's always opportunities, which is about as explicit of a statement as you can get necessarily. Not that Suzuki is going to be the only Japanese player available, but... That does strike me that the team really does prioritize, um, you know, having uh, having the sort of representation of Japanese players that has long uh, been a major component of the Mariners organization. Uh, so I think if they went for someone like Suzuki, uh, that would give them really three or four options. I am pretty skeptical of the Julio Rodriguez in center field uh, hype that Jerry tried to spin out there. It's not that Julio is not athletic enough. I think he is. I have watched him take some routes that I would, I think he would like back. Uh, and <laughs> Joe, I know you have obviously watched a good amount of Julio as well and have talked to people my perspective has always been, you know, it's, it's, there are, you know, Aaron Judge is athletic enough to play center field, but he is a really good right fielder. You know, Domingo Santana is athletic enough to play in the outfield, but he's not a good outfielder, right? Bigger players, you know, Joey Gallo is a great uh, center fielder. So it's not, completely um, determined of just like, oh, you're too big or not. Like, I think he's athletic enough. I just haven't seen him make the mechanical uh, moves out there that would make me feel comfortable. Yeah, the reads off the bat aren't, I mean, he is 20, so maybe that's something that's that can true. improve. That but at what true. point, at what point can you, like, at what point do we stop saying that about our young players? Like, Jared, He's young, like give him another chance in center field. Well, I mean, the organization has watched Jared for four years now. Same with Julio. Like at some point you just gotta say, yeah, this guy better, you know, he bet he fits better in a corner. In terms of center field, I think the the market just doesn't bear out for Seattle right. acquiring a center fielder. I mean, we talked about Reynolds, he's kind of one of the outliers, but um 
Starling Marte doesn't make any sense. He's going to be 34. You got to think there's going to be diminishing returns there. Um, Chris Taylor isn't a true center fielder. And if you're going to go get Chris Taylor to play center field, well, I would opine that Jared Kelnick is just as good in center field as Chris Taylor could be. And Mark Canna, same type of player. Spare me the Brett Gardner conversation. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think the, the the way that I would attack center field is I would have a roster of of a Jared Kelnick, uh, a Julio Rodriguez, a Mitch Hanniger, and a Kyle Lewis type. You know, you get those four outfielders. And then like a Nick Heath. Or I don't even know if Billy Hamilton is metrically considered a good defensive center fielder, but like a Billy Hamilton or a Luyori Garcia or, you know, Juan Lagares or someone that you can store at the back of your uh, bench and you put them in in the seventh inning after you're, you've gotten your at-bats for your bats, right? Because at the end of the day, if, if the outfield bats are the strength of this organization, it doesn't make sense to go out and get a 40 bat that's a true center fielder only to put Mitch Hanniger on the bench three days a week. It's just the, the market doesn't bear out for that right now. Unfortunately, I think one trade target that I've mentioned that I think would be kind of interesting is Bradley Zimmer out of Cleveland. He's a 60 runner. He's been beat up by injuries, good arm center field, long strides. Um, you know, Cleveland went out and got Miles straw from, from Houston at the deadline. And I don't know if Bradley Zimmer's in their future anymore. So He'd be a guy that I might target as a lefty bat, center field late in games. I think he makes some sense, so maybe keep an eye on that one. I know we've discussed Manuel Margot as well over in uh, over from the Rays, who will be making any amount of money, making him a tradable uh, target, uh, especially since the Rays have significant outfield depth already themselves, uh, and they non-tendered uh hunter renfro last year uh so if there's anything similar uh yeah, i think margo's in line to make a little more money um but yeah i i am definitely in the camp of if you're gonna get an outfielder you really need that center fielder get someone who is your fourth outfielder but is you know you know in that sort of above average bench player not quite a full-time starter but you can pinch run and you can get uh, you know you can fit them in all sorts of different ways you know gerard dyson kind of yeah player. like the gerard dyson acquisition from a few years back yeah um i think i think there are there are still a number of players of of that nature where you can feel comfortable putting them in center field in a way you wouldn't necessarily feel about Jake Fraley, uh, or, um, you know, or Kelnick or anyone. And you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily in a spot to trust Taylor Trammell with that kind of role. Uh, Yeah. You know, what sucks about this conversation is twofold. One is that Kyle Lewis is literally the perfect candidate for this role we're describing, which just breaks my heart because like, God, Godspeed, Kyle, Godspeed. Um, and Taylor Trammell is probably the best defensive outfielder in the org currently. Um, I know that they're like his numbers are a little weird because he's barely played above triple A, but like in terms of tools, he's probably the closest thing to a real center fielder. And he would make a lot of sense in that fourth spot if he could hit his way onto the team. So 
there are I guess I think I think Tremel hits I would say I think Tremel fits that role to be honest with you I, the bigger issue is if you bring Tremel up he's already on the 40 man if you bring him up to to be that guy to be in that role you are effectively in a way kind of at worst stalling his development if not giving up on it, because you're only going to get him into the game. I mean, you're only going to get him six at bats a week at best and a lot of routes in the outfield. So, um, I mean, there's injuries, of course, too, but he, you just can't bring him up if you have any visions of him actually being a big league regular center or a big league regular outfielder. He needs those triple A at bats. I think I agree with what you're saying in principle. I think that on the Mariners in particular, he's likely to get more than like six at bats a week because yeah he'll be the defensive replacement in the seventh inning like in a couple of games but he'll probably start in place of mitch hanniger who will be dh'ing quite a bit um and i'm in very much in favor of mitch hanniger playing less outfield um even if it stunts his value a tiny bit uh I, i he's probably our worst outfield option of the kids to play out there so i don't think that's a huge loss either but yeah i think the issue we run into is that our guys who are better with the stick are worse with the glove, and the guys who are better with the glove kind of can't haven't hit their way into a starting role. So we have like five to six guys who are kind of who are good, but like not good enough where you want where they should be unimpeded as far as starting goes. Like you know, we could upgrade those spots, and that's where you run into like Suzuki being kind of an interesting option. Um, to maybe bump Hanniger for a few at bats a week and bump Jared a little bit, and uh, I just don't know. I my problem is that I look at this outfield configuration and I could see it going really, really well, and you know Kyle Lewis being healthy and everybody who's here playing really well, and I could also see almost none of these guys working out other than Hanniger and you know Jared initially. So, and to be clear, Evan, on the on the Taylor Trammell thing, I. I'm of the opinion he needs to be the fifth outfielder because I think what you need is you need Jared, you need Julio, you need Mitch Haniger, and then I I need a free agent. I need a Michael Conforto or I need a Mark Canna as the fourth outfielder that can rotate the DH spot with Haniger and with Julio, and then or or you know if Seattle doesn't sign an outfielder and Kyle Lewis comes back and is that fourth outfielder, great, and then Tremel would be your, or say a Suzuki could be the fourth guy. Uh, and then Tremel comes up and he's the fifth outfielder and he's the defensive replacement. And that's where you'd only get, you know, six at-bats a week. I see. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't want him with, with the amount of money this team has, Taylor Tremel should not be getting, and Jake Fraley should not be getting sizable at-bats uh, in 2022 outside of injury. How do you guys feel about um, trading with the Brewers for one of their center fielders? They have Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley Jr., both of whom are coming off of rougher seasons. That's not true. Cain was Cain was decent. He just was hurt late in the year. Um, but I think both of them are obviously solid defensive center fielders have, you know, good reputations throughout the game and are making, like Bradley Jr.'s making 9 or 10 million, Kane's making almost, I think, 18 million. So a pretty solid amount. I think that they, 
could both probably be had for nothing and in fact could be gotten you know Mer- Seattle could get something out of Milwaukee to take them off their hands uh especially cuz Milwaukee definitely wants to continue contending and wants will probably want that money to try and reinvest um do you would you guys be interested in either do you think those are likely targets or plausible I, targets i like them for the role we just discussed yes i like them for the the fifth outfielder taylor trammell type role um maybe even in the fourth outfielder role if you feel good about kyle lewis's health going forward which we don't know yet um yeah i think that they both had really rough 2021s which shades this a lot but i i think that in particular with jackie bradley jr that he's not as bad as last year's numbers make him look uh i would expect a little bit of a bounce back and the defense is still elite um top tier very much so i i like that but i'm curious to see what joe thinks if they ban the shift i'm all about getting jackie bradley jr i think that'd be a great contract to take on and i think you could play him four days a week in center field but he hits the ball on the ground and he hits the ball at the second baseman like Dustin Ackley would be glowing in the in the midst. Like <laughs> I, that's that's my only thing with with Jackie Bradley is he's just crushed, crushed, crushed by the by the shift. And if if that doesn't get changed, I don't know what the upside is there. And kind of you know using him as a fourth or a fifth outfielder and spending nineteen million bucks on him, I would just rather I would rather you know go sign Billy Hamilton for a million bucks. Or go sign someone for a million bucks and spend the seventeen million dollars on Alex Wood. But if they're willing to give us a prospect, I mean, that's what I'm thinking on it. Is at this yeah. point, I think either they either Milwaukee pays it down, or more likely, if Seattle sees this as a chance to sort of throw some of their money around, which I hope they would, you could you could get a prospect off of that. You know, it's it's the type of thing that is done, or you get a draft pick or whatever. You know. Um, it yeah. makes sense, and the, you know it both of them are only sense. on one year deals. I mean, so it's it's very plausible that you you know that, that's right back out into the you know, right back out into the stream, uh, and and has the 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 much much beloved uh, veteran presence as well. Um, there's a, there's a number of ways of of going about it. Um, Joe, we got to get you out of here. I. I know we've touched on it a little bit, but the Kyle Lewis thing is just such a bummer. Evan, Evan, you've you've really highlighted it, but <sighs> I do. I'm so sad. So sad. Um, I just wanted all of Jake Fraley's success for Kyle, and I yeah. don't feel like I'm asking for too much. <laughs> is there a player that the Mariners could acquire this? winter that would most inspire your sort of enthusiasm that could that could sort of help you forget about Kyle Lewis's knees or lack thereof <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess an outfielder <laughs> <laughs> well fair enough I mean someone that you know a player that Fills out the outfield, so you know every day oh, in April we're not looking at the. Oh God, mm-hmm. that's a story for another time. Yeah, I, I don't know what the team is going to do with Evan, uh, but no, I mean, 
they put him in triple A and they let him <laughs> remember how to hit. Yeah. I, you know, he has to hit his way out of a paper bag before he if can they're play playing him in left field. They might as well just send him to freaking car testing areas where they figure out how crash dummies react to cars because that will not end well for Evan White playing left field on a regular day basis. But no, I mean, for me, as long as I'm looking at the lineup card in April and I'm not, you know, looking at Jake Fraley or, or looking at uh, Jose Marmalejo's types in left field and wondering, God, I wish Kyle Lewis was healthy. It's it's sad, but it's kind of it's it's easy to move along from a player if if the team is winning and um, there's not an obvious sore spot in the lineup. Mm hmm. I, I want to close on this note, which is that I think the prospect watching is much like baseball. It's it's an activity and a sport where it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, but also it's a game of attrition where you're going to lose and be wrong more often than there's going to be success, overwhelmingly so. And if you want to look at the Mariners, a, a lot of the radio narrative, like especially on 710 with people like Mike Salk over the last couple of years has been like, you know, the Mariners, oh, they said they were going to contend this year. Now they're not. You know, they're pushing, they're delaying the window and stuff. You want to look at why stuff like that happens. Uh, the Mariners' two biggest prospect investments, their very first wave under the DePoto era to debut, really are Justice Sheffield, Evan White, and Kyle Lewis. And they are on pace to get negative war out of those guys on a career basis if any of them even play again. Uh, so... Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Uh, understand that prospecting is really hard. And we're fortunate to have Joe and John here to kind of dig into this because it's just, it's so tough and you just never know how it's going to work out. And I'm saying all this because I am just so legitimately devastated for Kyle Lewis and for Evan White, who are two of my favorite players on the team. And I have somewhat mentally written off as playing anymore. Um, and that's hard. But uh, onwards and upwards, I guess. Uh, looking forward to George Kirby and Julio this year. So there's always there's always someone else, right? That's the hope, certainly. Yeah. Don't don't forget there did not used to be someone, much less someone else. So yeah. in this system, now there is, which is cool. And uh, those guys, it wasn't a... Romero. Come on, John. I Listen. believed in Stefan Romero. I liked Romero. <laughs> Yeah. But with these guys, it was like Stefan Romero was never a super talent right. prospect. He was he was and the someone else. He was the big body basher that you know got away with you know fringy tools across the board. I, the unfortunate thing with Kyle and Evan is is health, and that's not something you can really forecast for. Justice just you know part of that I think was poor scouting. Part of that was poor player development. I, I think that was he was just a miss. What I will say is, and you know, it's not a not a big thing, but this how Justice Sheffield looks this spring is going to make a big difference because at the end of last year, yes, he was you know huff, hucking it up there pretty pretty you know roughly, uh, but I mean he'd had this elbow arm injury that had basically cut his season in half, and I don't think he'd really been able to ramp all the way back up. So if he's coming back after a full winter of strengthening and, and retooling, and he still looks like this, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to wait around on that. But I, I do want to see how he, how he finishes out in terms of health. 
Yeah, and uh, Joe had to leave here. He's he's busy. He has real stuff to do. Um, the only other thing I'd say about Sheffield is that Mikey and I have talked extensively about him. Uh, he switched his repertoire. He went to a two-seamer this year, um, as opposed to the four-seamer, which he had had more success with. It's possible he comes into spring training uh, with that old repertoire and looks a little more like his old self. But as it stands, yeah, we're at the stage where he basically needs to remake himself as a pitcher to survive. So. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for hanging with us. Uh, hopefully, the next time we talk to you, there will be some activity. Uh, and uh, until next time, go Mariners. Bye. See, I'm, I'm Kate this time. That's good. That's good.